Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good, live from Iowa Catholic Radio's Mercy Live Up Studios. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. We are coming to you in this post-Easter season, the Easter week, the eight days of celebrating the rising of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am here in Des Moines, uh, Mercy Live Up Studios, Iowa Catholic uh, Radio's Mercy Live Up Studios. Bud is in Pittsburgh, and though we are separated by time and uh, you know travel and all that, it's still Easter, Bud, so I want to tell you Happy Easter, and I hope your Easter season, your whole Triduum went well. Yes, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Happy Easter to all of our listeners. So uh, it sounds like the Easter Bunny uh, gave you an Easter cold, so that sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of migrating through our household, but as, among those with colds in the Mar household, I'm probably the least uh, waylaid, so I feel blessed in that regard. That's right, and we all had uh, the flu in the Bonner household for three weeks, so uh from my family to yours be quiet bud no i'm kidding <laughs> uh one of the things i think we're all uh dealing with here uh, in all the midwestern places that we play i think this is even true down in oklahoma i know it's certainly here in des moines i think it's also the case in pittsburgh um this is one of the coldest beginnings of april that i've remembered in a long time uh we have we're, we're not going to get above freezing i think today but i don't know what it's out there uh with you guys no, it's been a harsh winter, and I know when we talk together, you, you used to tell students that you kind of like this, so I guess uh, this you got my cold weather this year. Yeah, 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 I, I see where this is going. You're going to blame me, right? Um, yeah, so uh, it's funny to think that, but then also baseball season has uh, started in earnest. Um, I, you know, I'm going to – Deacon Tony's not in the room, but so the Cubs are leading in something, bud, uh, strikeouts. That's pretty Ooh. amazing, right? Well, I don't want to pile on too much because the Cards dropped one in the ninth inning yeah. last night, and it's been kind of a rough start. I know people in Pittsburgh are going nuts because the the Pirates are four and zero, but it's a long season. That's right. They they might need to modulate how they're feeling about things. Uh, but yeah, so we had that. Um, the national championship round uh, uh, ended up uh, Villanova. Um, man, but I, you know, if you can in your field of life be like Villanova's dominance this year. They beat every team by over 12 points, if I'm not mistaken. That's crazy. I think I read that after March started, so going back even into their conference tournament, all of their wins were by double digits. So uh, it was an impressive team. And, I, you know, you feel kind of bad at the end of the process because the, the final four games were actually not that exciting. Right. You know, you kind of – with the NCAA tournament, you kind of sacrifice – Sometimes a great finish if you have a lot of early upsets. That's right. And so I figure that one of the things you and I, one of us should do is get old, uh, become adorable, get in a wheelchair, and be a chaplain for um, a very successful team that upsets people. That seems like a good uh, idea in life. I, I'm not going to say her name because I think it's a uh, trademark now, but you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, well, it's pretty impressive. It was kind of a reminder to me of... Uh Maybe I'm trying to squeeze too much meaning out of this, but our culture is still intrigued by the idea of consecrated religious, you know, and yeah. if it was just an old lady attached to Loyola, Chicago, I don't think there would have been the same press coverage, but the fact that it was a nun, uh, a religious sister, it really grabbed people's attention. Well, uh, 
Uh, this reminds me to say that, as always, we're underwritten by Cartridge World. Um, our buddy out at Cartridge World, his team, the Jayhawks, looked really good up until uh, the Final Four. But, you know, um, they they played Villanova, and uh, I, I have a lot of KU uh, friends um, and they said that there was no way they were winning that game. Villanova was just um, too much on fire. But if you need to print out, for instance, maybe you want to write a poem about how you're sad, how your Jayhawks lost to Villanova. Or if you're an Iowa team, you can write a poem and print it out about how none of your teams made anything in the postseason. You can go do that through the magic of Cartridge World. 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, uh, 515-564-7400. I know for... Uh, business customers, delivery is available, and all of their printing is uh, ecologically friendly. So uh, a great place there, Cartridge World in Windsor Heights. So another thing, uh, another uh, we're always underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences here in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, but I'd like to point out, Mercy College of Health Sciences undefeated this postseason. <laughs> no losses this year? No losses at all. Uh, we, yeah. we do not play any sports. Uh, but that also means that we have not lost anything. If you don't want to, if you want to be a winner at Mercy College of Health Sciences, this Thursday, our Faith and Healing series, uh, our award-winning speaker series where we talk about the intersection of faith and healing, uh, we have our last one, and that's going to be Thursday, uh, so tomorrow. Thursday at 6 o'clock over at Mercy College, we have heavy hors d'oeuvres, and then we have Dr. William English. Bill, we had him on the show last week, so that was sort of a preview uh, about uh, problems in medicine uh, and in the medical field. It's going to be a fantastic talk. We invite all of you to make it tomorrow. Well, we were talking about the weather a few minutes ago, and really there's no excuse to, like, you come inside, enjoy a good talk. You're not going to be frolicking through the fields yet tomorrow. So That's a great point. Like a lot of Aprils, we have to deal with people because no this is a good point i think it's actually opening day for uh the icubs but i think the yeah. weatherman just said it was going to snow so no offense icubs but you should go to the faith and healing thing instead i was going to take my kids to a pirates game and then i checked the weather it's like well it's going to be 41 with drizzle this doesn't sound like baseball weather but i know when we taught Bo, like you it is easier to keep kids attention when it's not like 65 and sunny, but once that, once that truly spring weather hits, that's right. The senioritis kicks in. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. They can be, you know, like 27 year old, and uh, if if springtime happens, it's like they're looking out the windows for the bunnies and birds and everything like that. And so. as a professor, you can be riding a unicycle and juggling like bowling pins that are on fire, and you know, giving the lecture of your life, but it won't matter. No, that's right. Uh, so not only do I like winter because I am a, a, a husky boy who, uh, gets hot easy. It's also the fact that like when spring happens, uh, in, in the spring semester, uh, your, your goose is cooked as a professor. Well, today on the show, the guest is going to be, uh, Easter itself, but, uh, we don't have someone that's calling in. We're going to talk about, um, what I think we talk about every year around this time, which is about how Easter changes everything, even not only for individuals, uh, but for the, the social common good as well. And so when we get back uh, after these uh, messages, that's we're go what we're going to do. So stick around. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Especially today, folks, because, uh, like we said, it's uh, Easter time. But also because uh, it's Bud and I, we'd love to hear from you about uh, a whole range of topics. How does Easter uh, change the social, the, the common good, uh, but maybe how it influences your life? We'd love to hear from you. The text line, uh, the zip whip, 
515-223-1150. You text in, and uh, we'll hear from you. But what's actually funny is the last three texts have been requesting Gregorian chant, so I think you and I might have to brush up on our uh, on our Scola days. Well, I think I kind of kicked off that conversation. There was one day we were talking about sacred music, and one of the listeners got an impression that I was like down on chant, which is certainly not true, but... I feel like uh, Rod Dreher, in a sense, where I've kicked off a conversation, and let yeah, let's let's lean deeper into this uh, into exploring ways of integrating chant into our liturgies. So, if you want to hear more of that, the Zip Whip five one five two two three eleven fifty. We'll be back with the common good after this break. Be not afraid. What do you think? John, in his characteristic humility, was eager to point beyond himself to the Christ. He did not hesitate to direct his own disciples to the Lord Jesus. Are you afraid? Well, don't be. Instead, be not afraid with Father Fabian Moncada every Tuesday morning at 9. Also, join Father Fabian on Sunday mornings for Be Not Afraid in Spanish at 1030. r Realty is showing Jesus Christ at work through powerful programs like Be Not Afraid, only on Iowa Catholic Radio. Do you worry about how safe your kids are in school today? Gangs, drugs, and weapons are facing them every day. But we want our kids to learn free from these negative influences. At Des Moines Catholic Schools, they can enjoy school and feel safe and nourished. It is possible. The Des Moines Catholic Schools have been creating leaders in our community for 107 years. Everyone is welcome, not just Catholics. We have a real 100% graduation rate and highly trained and certified teachers rooted in Christ. This is a powerful opportunity for your children to be well-educated in a faith-filled environment, surrounding them with love and community, building a foundation for their future with morals, ethics, and values. It's a game-changer for your child, and you'll know that you made the very best decision for your kids. Des Moines Catholic Schools are surprisingly affordable, and tuition assistance is available. Go to dmdiocese.org and check out our 16 schools. Des Moines Catholic Schools, building the kingdom one child at a time. Support for The Uncommon Good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great. Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and delivery are available. Products are guaranteed or full replacement. Cartridge World, your low-cost, environmentally friendly printing experts. 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400 and online at cartridgeworld.com. Back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Today, talking about how Easter, uh, the season that we are in, of course, now talking about the risen lord and not only how he of course changes everything for individuals but even that act changes everything for our society as well we talk about the common good a lot on this show of course that's the whole motivating principle of it um and it can get easy to to talk about that and think that that means it's an issue show and you know we talk about the issues we talk about um difficulties in medicine last week uh we've talked about the environment we've talked about farming agriculture We've talked about all sorts of things, politics, you know, specifically. Um, but undergirding all, undergirding all of this is the idea that the common good really was changed absolutely and irrevocably when our Lord Jesus rose from the grave. Now, but I think a lot of people hear that and go that you must, we must be taking a lot of logical leaps to get there. Cause, and, and maybe that's like part and parcel of 
why we have trouble talking about the common good. But why would the empty grave, to your mind, to, to set off our talk, have anything to do with the social order, you think? Well, that question takes me back, Bo, to I, we had a professor in graduate school who used to say Christianity does not have a social ethic. It is a social ethic. And he made that point to kind of remind his students that we tend to think in the modern world of ethics as this special discipline. So it's something that, you know, big-headed people do. You know what I'm saying? Right. But, um, no, Christianity was originally a certain way of living in the world. And so anytime you get human beings organizing their common life together, it's going to be organized along certain principles. And with the resurrection, with the conviction that God the Father had raised his son from the dead, you had a community in the world where the organizing principle of their life together was the resurrection of their Lord. And that had all sorts of implications. Life was no longer circumscribed by this constant fear of death, but because Christ had risen again, it opened up a new way of being in the world. I think that you, you, you've hit on some great stuff already out of the gate, and one of the th- two of them that are important to remember is that, uh, so the early Christians were all put on trial um, f- for a strange crime to our minds. Um, they were put on trial for being atheists. And you go, well, that seems weird because their whole organizing principle, I mean, their name is around uh, the person they worship as God. But for the Romans, right, and this is demonstrative of how the ancient world thought, you could worship whomever you wanted in your own personal way, but if you wouldn't sacrifice to the gods of the Imperium, uh, either where you were or the, the gods of the entire empire, um, you were atheist. And, and for them, it wasn't like they go like, oh, we really want you to believe in Minerva or whatever because we're fervent Minerva evangelists. What they meant was if you weren't willing to sacrifice to the stable political order of heaven, then that you for certain wouldn't follow the path of being obedient to the Romans on the ground. For them, this idea of obedience and social order ran all the way through to from heaven to uh, life on earth to even the underworld and the dead. And so Christians were a volatile group of people who said we only have one Lord, and not only one Lord from some sort of past uh, mythology, but a God who lived among us, died, and was raised. And so that's one thing that goes to show you how much, um, how how deeply the the social ramifications of what was being preached about the Lord uh, meant. The second one, as you said, um, we don't have a social ethic. We are one. To yeah. prove this, the Romans, for a long time, you know, called us atheists, but then what they finally decided was we were a philosophy. And they don't mean that like a philosophical pattern or, or, or even a a series of philosophical claims, what they meant was um, a teaching about how to live life correctly. Now, they relentlessly mocked it at first, but that's what they settled on. They were like, well, Christ is a philosopher, and these people follow his life advice, but oh, by the way, it's a life advice only worthy for slaves and the lowly and all these things like this. But this is exactly, of course, another point towards what we believe about the common good, that that which is the lowest, that which is the stone the builders rejected, um, was the very group of people that conquered the mighty Roman Empire precisely because they were willing to imitate their Lord into death to be raised to new life. Well, Bo, that phrase that you're using, social ramifications, when I talk to some Christians about Catholic social teaching, I get the sense sometimes that they feel like I'm pulling a fast one, like, 
I'm trying to add something additional to the faith, right. you know? But at, at each Mass, we extend to each other the peace of Christ. And you see there the social ramifications of the Gospel. Um, you know, uh, Jesus was living and teaching in a time where people talked about the Pax Romana. And so Rome and the imperial government provided a kind of peace. Now, we don't have to, like, we don't have to go out of our way to criticize the empire, right? I mean, there's things that empires provide that are goods, but for Christians, our sense of what actually provides peace and freedom, it derives from a different place. And it wasn't until recently, like, I had someone point out to me, like, look, this term religion, there's some cultures that don't even have the word religion in their language. And it's, a, it's kind of a recent invention. So most every culture will talk about sacrifice, about gods or a god, you know, but religion, in the way that we use it as the sphere that's separate from the rest of life, that's sort of foreign to most times and places. And so, you know, I, I think as Catholics we have to recover that sense that, like, this religion that we practice, it's not something that we do on the side, it's not a hobby, but it pervades every aspect of our lives. And when the popes developed Catholic social teaching, it was really just saying, like, where does the rubber meet the road? If we, say, if we say we believe Jesus Christ is Lord, that all things will be made subject to him, what does that mean for us now when we talk about economics or about justice for, um, for, for, for laborers and things like that? Well, and I think you see this um, just looking liturgically. So uh, during Eastertide, during um, this intervening week between Easter and uh, Divine Mercy Sunday, Low Sunday, um, the gospel readings are almost always either resurrections appearances of jesus or um it's like sermons from acts where the where you have someone who was there um talking about what it means for jesus to be raised and what you see is the early church collectively uh ruminating and dealing with what what not only what happened but what that means now and you think about um when jesus is walking with the two disciples to emmaus and they don't recognize who he is um, you know, they're, when, when Jesus asks rhetorically, you know, like, why are you sad? They, they respond and said, have you not been in Jerusalem? Have you not heard what, what, like everything that was going on? And they begin to talk about Jesus, but they end with that phrase, I'm paraphrasing here, that, but we thought he would be the one to save Israel. And then Jesus, very gently, because if I were Jesus and went through that, I'd be like, listen here, dummies. Remember what I mean? But instead, Jesus very gently goes, do you not recall? And then he says that this is why the Christ must suffer. And he like went through all of the Old Testament and showed them why. And in the breaking of bread, they saw who it was. was were our hearts not burning when we were yeah. speaking to him? But what that meant was, okay, the, the, those disciples had heard Jesus was raised. They heard the report of the women. They, they, they said, like, they came and they, they talked to the disciples. And they were still like, but we don't know what to make of this. The reason they didn't know what to make of this is because they were like, when Jesus said he was the Messiah, we, we thought we knew what that meant. You know, the Messiah, the anointed one, um, means a priest, prophet, or king in, in its most basic way. But by the time that Jesus uh, is on the scene in Israel, they thought that this new anointed one would come and uh, either kick out Rome, start a, a, you know, a war that would kick Rome out, um, policy-wise, you know, reinvigorate the kingdom. They had all sorts of ideas, but not the idea was what Jesus would do. And so just the sheer fact that Jesus himself authoritatively interprets what it means to be the anointed one as the one who would suffer but then be raised, 
That's a political statement. And the part yeah. of the reason that people like the, the, the disciples in the Emmaus Road didn't know how to interpret it is because they were expecting a certain type of political answer, and Jesus had to show them, reveal, not like a, a more personal Messiah, but an actually even further reaching ramifications for what this Messiah meant. Well, I'm glad you brought up the Emmaus Road experience, because when Jesus initiates his followers into the reality of his resurrection, it's through the breaking of bread. And our eating habits are really the most basic. It's like the foundation of our culture, right? Like who we eat with and how we eat. And, um, you know, Bo, I remember, again, back teaching at Mercy, like when we talked about Jesus, and I, I think I had to work through this myself when I was younger. It's like if Jesus came simply to save people from their sins, like if we just, if we stop there, or if we say like, well, Jesus taught us to love each other and to be kind to each other, you do have to begin to ask, like, why would people want to kill him, right? Exactly. And so obviously, like, the the sacrifice on behalf of sins, that's the core of the matter, and that's like the nature of his mission, but it's wrapped up in these very, again, using political in the old sense of the word, like who you eat with, who you share table with, but also, like you're talking about, Bo, when Jesus walks through the temple and says, look, now, there's not a single stone here that's not going to be overturned. You can understand, again, why you can begin to understand why this kind of ruffled some feathers uh, in his time period. Well, and I think that's an interesting way to put this. Uh, we were just talking about this uh, yesterday in my class, and I, mean, I think I got this from you. you we take figures and we make, uh, we make stamps out of them. And what, you mean, and what you meant by that when you said that is take anyone, um, Martin Luther King Jr., I think, uh, uh, I think today's the memorial of him being shot in Memphis, for instance. Um, we've made a stamp of him, meaning we put him on a stamp so that we can all go like, yeah, he was a good man. Yep, yep, we all agree. Man, more people should be like him. Few people actually take the time to go like, oh, right, Martin Luther King Jr. divided the nation at the time yeah. for a worthy cause, but you couldn't be on the fence about Martin Luther King Jr. because of what he was trying to do for the sake of justice. Well, we've long put Jesus on a stamp, He's a nice guy. He teaches us to love each other. He says, you know, share your cookies and your your peeps and malted Easter eggs or whatever. That seems to be like, you know, the truncated version of what we think we mean. Um, but you couldn't be on the fence about Jesus Christ. Not only were uh, the Romans not and the Sanhedrin not, even his disciples in the, at, when he was being crucified, I mean, they ran away, right? There, there was no... Yeah. being on the fence about our Lord. And now that he's raised, I mean, that's the whole point of the book of Acts, is there's no halving it. There's, is this true, and all of the ramifications then that come from it, true, you have to stop acting like the point of Easter is a nice guy was raised from the dead. No, someone who people wanted to kill was vindicated by the Father. And I think to even press that more, it's true that like what happens is we are able to have our sins forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, and we're able to have eternal life because he was raised from the dead. But our, our society itself, cities and states, the world, is able to have its sins expi- expiated, and there will be a new heaven and new earth. So it, it, it doesn't stop with individuals. Creation itself will be changed. And again, that is, you know, so when people go like, well, you know, it's really great that you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. 
that's a personal thing for you and you go no friend i'm sorry but the entire world as you know it is cracking apart on the weight of this good news and you can't sit on the fence about it well early in the conversation i used that phrase like our lives being circumscribed by death and obviously death is this existential question that all human beings i think wrestle with to to try to pretend say like ah oh, it doesn't bother me you know <laughs> right. yeah. that would just be ridiculous but I, if you look at like turn on the television i just I've been struck recently by how much of our conversation is just characterized by fear, right? Yep. And it's not so like even thinking about a difficult moral question like when is it right to fight a war? As Catholics, we can say like is this a just reason to do so? But when we talk about war like in popular culture, I feel like so much of it is just like how do we stave off death right. for a little while longer? And so much of what we do, even the entertainment that we consume, like how we spend our time, in a sense it's like uh, trying to push away that nagging reminder that I'm mortal. And Jesus, you know, he changed all of that. And you think about the way that Christ could confront people with very difficult challenges, right. like telling a young man, like, look, sell all you have and give to the poor. Like, you've fulfilled the commandments, but this one thing's holding you back. I think our Lord was able to, like, he could say that genuinely in a way that I might struggle to, because he realized, like, look, God's kingdom is breaking in. The resurrection is the ultimate vindication of that. And so our lives no longer have to be propelled by that fear of death. And you begin to think about the martyrs, the cathedrals that we built. All those things don't make sense if this is all that there is. Yeah, amen. And, I, and, and, and yeah. it's like you said, it, it, people aren't bad because they're worried yeah. about dying. I mean, what, one uh, another great thing about the Gospels, right, is Peter, who, like, I, and I, I bring this up all the time, he right after he is vindicated as being like, yes, you're right. You you properly named Jesus. Obviously, God the Father gave you this insight. The next scene, when Jesus says, "I I will go and I will suffer," goes not you, Lord. It, that can't happen. And Jesus then goes like, "Hey, you know, you guy who I said that like the Lord Father, you know, put that word in your mouth. Get behind me, Satan. I'm going to call you Satan because of how radically." unfit those words are to what has to happen but peter's not like a bad person he he doesn't want his lord to die he's yeah. scared and you in but then jesus shows the radical way in which whatever we're going to do from now on of course we'll be human and we're not going to say silly stuff like if you go to mass enough you know you can like skydive and not be scared or something silly like this <laughs> But we realize that to imitate our Lord is to say those concerns which marshaled the, the vast resources of multiple empires is no longer the main reason to consider doing anything, not only as an individual, but as a society as well. No, that's a great point. You know, when Peter is most impetuous, he kind of he has the right instincts. Like when he wants to build the, uh, the booths or the, the temples to kind of... Uh, memorialize the transfiguration right or what you just pointed out when he wants to turn jesus away from jerusalem like those are those are kind of the right instincts because if jesus is king like lord don't let don't let these people take advantage of you or like really like we should we should honor the glory that you rightly deserve but you know like this this phrase can sound flippant i don't mean it flippantly but like this idea like there's no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. Right. Jesus reminds Peter, like, no, unless I walk the path of the cross, the kind of life that God wants to bring into the world is not possible. Yeah, actually, I know this is a little bit of a side note, but you're right. Peter is always, like, 
super into whatever's happening. So like, uh, and I'm thinking about this because of uh, of Maundy Thursday. He's like, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Like Peter's always making very bold claims. He he'll never go like, Are you sure you should do this, Lord? He's like, You'll never wash my feet. And then Jesus explains it, and he's like, Then don't stop at my feet, Lord. Yeah. Just like wash everything. And Jesus is like, right, Calm down, Peter. <laughs> and then you know. At the very so, least, sort it out. Feel, yeah, yeah. At the, at the very least, I feel like the Gospels would be a whole lot less interesting without Peter. You yeah, know? and it's like so many of the memorable stories is just like him. I don't know. He has that. He has that kind of childlike sensibility where it's like he, he's the one who also cuts the centurion's air off. Right? That's right. Yeah. It, to, and you know, you, you start talking about yourself where you like want to identify with people, and you're like, oh, I wish you know, I, I identify with this person or that. I'm like Peter cutting a dude's ear off. That's me. Like you know, I, by that point, I should have like learned Jesus' message about like forgiving your enemies. I mean, like you know, this was like the penultimate thing happening, and I would have been like, get away, cut off the ear. <laughs> God providentially ordained that for Okies. That's right. That part, yeah, that part of the Bible, like each each Easter season, you guys are like, yeah, yeah, and and the, and the priest has to be like, no, guys, remember the year goes back on. Ah, oh, okay, uh. yeah. But I can almost imagine Jesus doing that, being like just sighing. He's like, of course, Peter cut this dude's ear off. You know, puts it back on. So uh, we 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 all we all want to say like, not you, Lord. We all want to say, you'll never wash my feet. Wash everything. Uh, cut off ears that you know that's us like peter is such a great example of that that there's natural impulses to be like that and then the but jesus doesn't simply rebuke him but show like that that zeal can be led to the right place so um, when we we're getting up on the the half hour break when we get back um i think we can talk about that the further implications personally for us that uh, if we start out as Peter in the Gospels and want to end up like Peter in the book of Acts, how is it that our Lord's life um, makes that possible? So stick around. The Uncommon Good will be back after these messages. If you want to keep up with us on the old social media, Facebook, Iowa Catholic Radio, uh, you know, Jeb, we might have to go find other social media because, like, all these celebrities keep canceling Facebook or whatever. So, but Iowa Catholic Radio, um, that's how we uh, spread the gospel to Russia because the Russian bots keep up on our Facebook page. Uh, our twiddle, Twitter handle, at IA Catholic Radio. Um, I don't know, bud, like, uh, you running around the kids and such, have you found new um, social media accounts we need to start? Well, the March children are really counting on Jeb to develop some um, cutting-edge social media outlets, because I know, you know, he doesn't have enough on his plate there already, so... That's right, Jeb, uh, if you can develop the next Catholic app, so no pressure, buddy. And then, of course, uh, the Zip Whip line... Yeah. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. 515-223-1150. We'll be back with the Uncommon Good after this break. Ladies, our next Mosaic Luncheon will be on Thursday, April 12th at St. Augustine's Church. Our featured speaker will be Marilyn Lane. She is the co-founder and co-chair of the Christ Our Life Catholic Regional Conference. She will share stories and insights into how the Holy Spirit can become indispensable in your life. Doors open at 11.30 a.m. for lunch, and the program will run from 12 to 1. Reserve your seats today by going to iowacatholicradio.com or call 515-223-1150 and make your soul active in Christ. 
You listen to us, so like us too. Iowa Catholic Radio is on some of your favorite social medias like Facebook and Twitter. It's the only place where you can stay up to date with everything that's going on here at the station. You can find information like who the guests are for future shows, all about our upcoming events, and the latest in trending Catholic news. So get with the times, friend us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Also, don't forget to help grow God's ministry. Like, comment, share, and retweet us at IA Catholic Radio. We're social, we're media, we're Iowa Catholic Radio. Support for The Uncommon Good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great. Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and delivery are available. Products are guaranteed or full replacement. Cartridge World, your low-cost, environmentally friendly printing experts. 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400 and online at cartridgeworld.com. Straight talk. You made a comment that I know if my mom was listening, the hair in the back of her neck would be standing up, okay? Okay. You said, well, I talk to these couples to be married all the time, and they have various reasons for cohabitating. Mm -hmm. And she'd be like, the church is talking to people who are already cohabitating, and they're going to allow them to get married? What do you say to my mom? Straight and to the point. That's Straight Talk, heard every Tuesday at 10 a.m. with Gene Wells, Kelly Musher-Collins, and Jason Collins. R&R Realty helps you see the work of Jesus Christ through timely programs like Straight Talk on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Low Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr. Jesus Christ is risen, and we are talking about that in this Easter tide. I hope everybody realizes just one programming note for your life. Uh, every day of this week is supposed to be an echo of Easter until the full echo happens uh, on Divine Mercy Sunday, the octave. So if you need an excuse to eat something that you didn't think you should eat, do it. Bud and Bo approve. Do it for our Lord. Eat that extra burrito. Any other practical advice about how to celebrate the festivities, Bud? No, I think I was listening to some old shows recently, and last Easter season, I, if I remember correctly, you gave a similar dispensation. So <laughs> this is kind of your ministry in the church. That's right. Is in part like blessing people's. Uh, post-Easter feasting. That's right. We it, it, Okay, I remember this because we were talking about that we needed to be supported by the ham industry because we talked about ham a lot. And uh, <laughs> guess what we just plowed through as a Bonner family? That's right, spiral ham. We we were like really pumping up ham, but then we're down on Cadbury eggs. <laughs> <laughs> if, we well, can, if we can get down on another uh, uh, Easter candy real quick, I have... A confession yeah. to make, which is I do not like peeps. I, I, every year I'm reminded I am not a peep person, but my kids love them. Easter candy is not that great. You know, like Halloween, I usually raid my kids' um, <laughs> yeah. candy stashes. But Easter, it's a lot of, like, people develop this weird, like, we'll just, we'll kind of, like, solidify sugar and then diet. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I, impressed. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I need no help, like, getting diabetes, Easter candy <laughs> industry. Thanks a whole bunch. I think you were actually going to say something serious, but we should probably well, go that way. You know, I was going to kind of uh, throw you a curveball because on, on the show, like one of the roles that I see myself having is asking the tough questions because I'm better at asking questions than giving answers. <laughs> but, you know, we, we've been talking about the social ramifications of Easter and how this is a message intended for all people. And yet, uh, when you think about the actual historical event, so our Lord appeared to over 500 people, which is a lot. But like why like this is the seminal moment in history 
why do you think in some sense it was obscured? You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it, it wasn't on the five o'clock news. The Roman Empire, for the most part, seemed like the movers and shakers at the political level seemed ignorant of it. So why, paradoxically, if 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 Easter is a message for all people, why is it sort of hidden? So in its I, actual revelation. I think that that's a great like consideration. There's a few things that go into this. I mean, there's an actual serious way to ask that question and answer it, and I'll get to that in a second. One, though, is when I hear some people ask it, certainly not you, but other people, mm-hmm. they go like, why didn't the Lord just appear? And I'm all like, what did you want him to do? Like, appear in the sky and be like, listen, 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 you don't know who I am. But, yeah. yeah. And, or, I think people think about the ubiquity of, like, news nowadays, and they, like, read that back into ancient times. And you're like, uh. what would he do? Like, how How would he, like, transmit this mission? Like, I, there's only, like... I don't know how many people you think during the Passion saw him and knew what was going on. Let's say, like, what, 3,000? And I, I think that's large. Yeah. So they, he could have appeared to them, right? I mean, it, it, it starts to be interesting. But So that's one thing that I would throw out. More seriously, though, I think he meant to do it this way because if we learned anything about what he thought about his messiahship, his kingdom, it's that the lowly would topple the strong, not by imitating the strong in their violence and power, but precisely by embracing that self-emptying that Christ showed on the cross and the vindication the Father gives to the obedience unto death that Christ shows. So you tell me, bud, what's more impressive? Like Jesus yeah. comes back uh, with, with you know, military arms and, and uh, you know, kicks Pilate's butt, kicks the Roman Empire's butt, kicks him out of everything and sets up rule. Or is it more impressive that within 300 years, um, the, the 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 faith and the witness of Galilean fishermen uh, toppled what probably to that time was the most extensive empire that ever existed, and I think well, that I, that's part and yeah. parcel of it. That, I think that's good. And when I talk about things being paradoxical, I mean what ends up being paradoxical is not, in a sense, like how God reveals His love, but what it takes for human beings to accept it. Yeah, that's a good. Point. And, you know. It, there's there's some irony there because I talk about the resurrection being sort of this event hidden from the public scene or whatnot, but then Christianity eventually pervades all of Western civilization, and so like today you think about uh, you know everyone knows the word Jesus, and at one point in history like there was an entire culture characterized by it, but like what's the barrier to receiving God's love is not usually how God approaches us, but you know like the great mystery that people walked and talked with. Um, the incarnate Lord, and still didn't believe. That's right. I mean, y- you hear that variant many times that, uh, you know, if if Jesus wanted me to believe in him, why doesn't he just appear to me? And you go, well, yeah. he said as he does. I mean, like right, like the in the poor, uh, in our brothers and sisters in the Eucharist. But even if he did, if he came up and was like, I'm Jesus Christ raised from the dead, um, I am not going to bet money that that would be enough to convert many people. And unfortunately, many people who go to church on Sunday, because there's a way in which we even can take the good things that God has revealed to us and make that either an idol or a barrier to seeing what it is that Jesus wants for us in our life. So I'm with you. I mean, uh, this is from the lips of Peter, uh, you know, in Acts, uh, is that, um, you know, he goes, you know, you guys were there. And you did this. You chose Barabbas, a murderer over Jesus. But he goes, but you were ignorant, as were your leaders. And it's it's weird, right? Because this is like chapter 3, I think, of Acts. And on one hand, you want to go like, oh, Peter's giving everyone a break. 
but you're like, man, no, actually, but he's also just being very honest. Like that ignorance that we've just talked about, he himself sort of had that keeps, you know, prevailing. It's not just an ignorance of not knowing it's an ignorance of will, right? Like we don't want to be confronted with the truth. It seems like sometimes. Well, not to pick on a student because the the encounter I'm about to describe, I think the student was actually well-intentioned and well-meaning, but he was saying to me, if this is the most important truth about human life, like why doesn't God give us more evidence? And in the classes, I began to like unpack what the student was asking. What he was describing was what you were joking about earlier, where in a sense like God would appear in the sky and with a booming voice say, here I am, everybody believe. And I, I pointed out to the student, like, what you're describing is more like this powerful genie from the cartoon Aladdin right. than, like, the God that Christians confess. And as we, as we began to talk more about it, even, like, the nature of love, like, in human relationships, if we have, like, a father figure who, in a sense, like, imposes his love on his children or coerces right. other people to love him, we see that as, like, against the true nature of love. And yet sometimes with God, you know, I wonder, Bo, like, if at the end of time, we're actually going to be more shocked by the times where we walked right past Christ. Yes. Rather than not getting enough evidence, like, oh, man, I really just, I was blind to the spiritual realities around me. No, I think that that's a really good way to put this, that Easter, you know, that the Easter season, the reality of Easter calls this a lie, as we go, like, we want Jesus to just give a strong proof. Why doesn't he appear in the sky? Why doesn't he make it obvious? But, like, on the other hand, like, if you were dating people, and they laid it on thick, you'd be like, no thanks, buddy. Like, you know, uh, or if we were all like, oh, well, how did you find your spouse? You're like, well, he appeared in the sky and loudly thundered his love for me and how I'm the, was he was the right person for me. You're like, that guy's not loving you. He's a a creep, right? Like it's propaganda. And it seems like what people are saying is like, why isn't God a better propagandist? You're like, (laughs) you're like, well, because he loves you. He doesn't, he doesn't want to like, win a number of followers he wants what's best for you and he's willing to die to do that and then be raised and the fact of the matter is is that that's actually what's best for you and it's what's best for society to be willing to be humble like that it's painful but it's better and that that's i agree like what people go is like why isn't god flashier why does god not have the coolest gizmos why doesn't God have the neatest message? And you're like, because he, he's worried about you, and he loves you, and he cares about the truth, not just getting the followers. When we actually hear those kind of messages, we're like, oh, that guy's a used car salesman, or he's right. like a snake oil. You know, like, those things are actually disparaged in our culture. But for some reason with God, we fall into this trap of wanting more than what he's already given us on the cross, which is just a reminder of, like, how hard-headed human beings can be. But, um, you know, Bo... Sometimes I'm accused of being an old fuddy-duddy because I've got, you know, the, you know, like people hear me and they're like, ah, you know, like Bud can't wait until he's an old man and he can tell kids to stay off his lawn. Right. But to, to prove that's not the case, you mentioned at the start of the show that this coming Sunday is also Divine Mercy Sunday, which is a recent development in the life of the Church. It's something that John Paul II actually initiated. And I love this, that right after Easter, we start this novena, or right at Easter, I should st- say, where we're like begging God for God's mercy. Right. And how would it how would it transform our our lives together if we were characterized by this like Lord you sacrificed all on the cross and now we we beg for your mercy for all the shortcomings that we have but also carry a liaison for all that we see going on in our world in the way that our lives together are not yet brought under 
um, your gentle role. One of the things that I love about the Divine Mercy Chaplet, first of all, it starts on Good Friday, which already shows what you've said earlier, like you can't yeah. have Easter without you know the cross, which is to say uh, mercy is not like, we shouldn't think of it first post-resurrection. We should think about it actually in the 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 in league with the passion of Christ, but then it's it goes through the passion and through the resurrection. But anybody who wants to have a sort of like silly, light, easy mercy, like God, just be nice. Can you be nice to everyone, God? They should actually do the Divine Mercy Novena because those were like the the prayers for the particular people each day. Um, they're desperate. I mean, I, I actually, like, I think that that's what they're so great about them. It's like you said, they're desperately begging for mercy. And that there's a, there's a tinge of, like, if these people don't get your mercy, Lord, it's going to be bad for them. And the sort of, like, depths of Christ's love and sacrifice and love f- for us and mercy for us, I actually think it does a really good job. And if you think about what the actual chaplets, you know, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, which, you know, I don't know what it is in other languages, but it really works out in English, all the alliteration, the S noises for the sake of his sorrowful passion. Um, you know, that makes us think of it, right? The sorrowful passion. Uh, the, he really did suffer for us, and he he loved us that much. And, and you know, for me, the, one of the, the, so the exultet, right, is the, uh, the, the hymn of Easter sung to the Easter candle, you know, to, to in, who stands in for Christ. And the the phrase that always gets me every year to to tear up is, um, for uh, for the sake of a slave you gave away your son, and uh, and and for me that that's the divine mercy chaplet really gets at that right. Like you're a slave to sin, uh, you've been sold, and the high king of the world looked at this slave getting what he deserved. I'm thinking of me. And he said, you're worth sending my perfect sinless son. And if, if that doesn't move you, then it's, no, then it's no wonder that we will look at the Divine Mercy Chaplet and think of it as something like trite or surface level. But, yeah. you know, like for the, for, for the slave you gave up your son is what resonates with me. That's a really powerful reminder, that connection to Good Friday. And, and Pope Francis has talked a lot about mercy when, when he... Uh, when he called for a year of mercy, you know, the document that was released when that happened was Voltus Christi, or the face of Christ. Right. And both our present Holy Father and Pope Benedict before him have pointed to the Shroud of Turin and this devotion that Catholics have had to the Holy Face as icons of God's mercy. It's like you're saying, looking back to the cross, and that's where we really see the manifestation of God's mercy. And then as Catholics living into that, like, Bo, you were saying earlier um, about, like, how God chooses the weak things of the world, those saints who have created some of our greatest memorials to divine mercy, it wasn't, it wasn't by getting, like, um, multiple graduate degrees or doing something amazing in the world's eyes. Sometimes it was like Veronica wiping our Lord's bloody face, or, like, right. you think about the giving of the miraculous medal or the brown scapular. These are very humble servants of God where... They spread devotion to Jesus by saying, like, look, wear this, wear this garment, and each time you look at it, it will remind you of what God has done on your behalf. Yeah, and, and to even make it more po- powerful, because I realized just in the moment I was missing, like, a key word, uh, the part of the Exaltat is, it says, Our birth would have been no gain had we not been redeemed. A wonder of your humble care for us, O love, O charity beyond all telling. To ransom a slave, you gave away your son. 
and uh, to ransom, right? To because re- we hear the word redeem and we think it was like you know spiritually, but like actually redeem is like redeeming a coupon. It's it's a price, and the, the redeem and ransom is actually the word. You were in a prison, you, you know, you are in a prison if you're under sin, and God to ransom you, a slave, gave away his son, and all of these things: the shroud of Turin, the holy face, uh, like you said, miraculous medal. All of these things remind us that what God was willing to go through and give away for your sake. And then we go, but that can't stop in an individual way because what that must impel us then is to say, so like not only in my life with other people, but socially, what will we give up to ransom others who are lost? And that's a whole gamut of things. What will you give up? in order to ransom someone who's fallen into sin? What will you give up in order to ransom someone out of poverty or degradation? What will you give up to ransom someone out of violence or uh, of a bad situation? We can sit all day and think about by what right we should be able to have our money or enjoy things or things like that. But when we turn to what Jesus did for us, it stops being a matter of like, our rights, and we start to say, if we're going to imitate this Lord of ours, what would we be willing to do to ransom someone out of another situation? And I think that's why the empty tomb, the, 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 the cross and the empty tomb compel us to say, as a social order, what are we willing to do different for the sake of these little ones, these lost ones, those that are in need? Yeah, and the gospel message really explodes the categories that we try to cling to. I, I talked earlier about not being driven by a fear of death, but also not being driven by ideas about scarcity. You know, like people have pointed out that the story of the prodigal son should really be the prodigal father, because the father's love is profligate. Like when the son comes home, he kills the best calf, and he throws like the best robe on his son. And all throughout the Gospels, like especially at table fellowship and things like that, like when you're talking about meeting Christ and the poor or the the adoration that's due to God, there's almost no cost that you could attach to it that would be proportional to what was given. This, you know, like one of the figures praised in the gospel is this woman who's, who buys like an insanely expensive bottle of perfume and anoints our Lord's body. And I, I don't know, but that's a struggle for me, like in my own life. Am I characterized by clinging to the gifts that God's given, or do I have that same profligate love? Like, even even with almsgiving, like encountering people, like, if I give away $5, do I pat myself on the back, or do I say, am I reminded, you know, like, how often I'm just, uh, I'm just worried about, like, the scarcity of what's, what's available to me? Well, and, you know, <laughs> there's another way in which, like, we get uh, used to words, and we sort of, like, dole off their edges. So mm-hmm. people will talk about the foolishness of Easter, or, like, you know, that Jesus Christ is, uh, uh, what is the scandal of the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks? Well, fool, we don't use that word very much. Like, you can imagine, like, calling your friend, like, you're a fool. And they'd be like, what are you, 80? Right? Um, so I sometimes want to go through, you know how they make modern translations yeah. of the gospel, but it's always to, like, put it in hip and cool language. But I would do it to, like, make it mildly offensive. And this is what I mean, bud, is when people call God's love foolish, Use a word that you wouldn't think we should use, like dumb, because that's what we're like. It's dumb 
how profligate God's grace is towards us. Yeah. It's idiotic, right? It's it doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. Like think of all the words that are synonyms of foolish, and we're saying that God's love is so great that it we would it, it's characterized by those words. That if humans yeah. used their resources like God did, everyone would call them an idiot. But God doesn't care, and God, like you said, has such an overabundance of the goodnesses of grace that he can spend like that. And what an amazing thing it is to be loved by a God like that. Well, I was, when you were talking about like this alternative translation, you know, like in the book of Acts where you have this community, the early Christian community, and they shared their resources so that um, no one went hungry or without, you know? Right. And like we could say, well, that's foolish, but maybe like the modern American translation should be like they didn't plan well for their retirement. Right. Like, they really overlooked key elements of their 401k. That's right, right. Like 401ks were not discussed. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and that's exactly right is, you know, we want to be prudent. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, prudence would mean like taking one action and, and putting it to where another end will come from it. But the sort of normal prudence is thrown out the window because if what you want is the best life, the most for what you can get, the best deal on the market. The best deal on the market is the eternal life and love Christ has won for us. And wouldn't it be prudent to be foolish with everything else in order to live in that life and to receive that grace? And that's what's been offered to us, not only as people, but as a society in Easter. I know we're a little short on time, but I I had a reminder of the sense of abundance when I was in Des Moines last week, and I went to the Basilica of St. John, and I love these old churches that were built by communities where, let's be honest, for them to build a church like that required like a level of sacrifice that maybe wouldn't be demanded of us, right? Right. And I just love the, like, throw in another gargoyle. You know, That's like, right, yeah. When they're planning the church building, someone's like, well, maybe we could stop with just like these nice pillars. And they're just like, no, more statues. Right. How many gargoyles should we have? Five. Fifteen! Yeah. Fifty gargoyles! That's right. And I, and I think that you're right, like, as, as jokingly as we're putting it, that that's exactly uh, what, what, what Easter is. More cowbell, more gargoyles. <laughs> well, this is uh, the Uncommon Good, and we want to say uh, thank you to everybody. God bless. Uh, may your Easter tide be wonderful. Really celebrate uh, these eight days, but then remember that we have 50 days to celebrate in some way as well. This is the Uncommon Good. God bless you all. One way to celebrate around the Diocese of Iowa, bud, is they have the uh, Ladies' Mosaic Lunch. That's coming up Thursday, April 12th. Uh, St. Augustine's Church with uh, Marilyn Lane's Power in the Promptings, talking about how the Holy Spirit um, can, I think, make you live an Easter type of life like we were talking about. Coming up uh, April 28th, we have Dr. Kenneth Kemp uh, for the Catholic Culture Lecture Series. This is at uh, the uh, Pastoral Center downtown, the Catholic Church and evolution. So those are some events happening around the diocese, but what can people um, encounter uh, every week here uh, at uh, Iowa Catholic Radio? Iowa Catholic Radio can be a great way to just uh, provide some structure to your prayer life. Wake up at 5 a.m. to uh, read the Bible in a year. That transitions right into the rosary and the Angelus. We also have the rosary prayed, excuse me, before our show at 9.30. So a lot of opportunities not only to learn more about the faith, but to grow deeper in your practice of the faith. So we have the Intune bi-weekly e-newsletter sent out by email every other Wednesday. Complete, easy to navigate, source for station headlines, event registration, program highlights, and more. And only two emails a month, so we won't bombard your inbox. Again, social media, Iowa Catholic Radio for Facebook, 
at IA Catholic Radio for Twitter. Um, if you want to leave us a message to pick up later in the show, the Zip Whip line, as always, 515-223-1150. And like we like to point out um, in this generosity of, of, of giving that God has given us his son, um, if you want to give to our ministry, because remember, our ministry and the ministers of this ministry are not just the people speaking on the radio, but the people who make it possible, and that includes you as well. Well, bud, I hope you get over your cold. I hope you have a yeah. wonderful Easter tide and uh, many blessings to your whole family. Yeah, blessings. Easter blessings to all of our listeners, and uh, thanks, Bo. It's always, it's always a fun time. This is the Uncommon Good. May Jesus Christ, the newly risen Prince of Peace, reign in your hearts, in our families, in our towns, our cities, our state, the entire nation, the entire world, the entire universe. This is the Uncommon Good. God bless. We will talk to you next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one. And anytime on podcast, just search for The Uncommon Good.